You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Welcome to a very special edition of Daily Star Trek News. This weekend, I was asked to host not one but two panels at Trek Talks, an eight-hour live stream event to benefit the Hollywood Food Coalition, produced by the Trek Geeks Podcast Network and Roddenberry Podcasts. Overall, the event raised over $60,000 for this great cause. So have a listen to this first panel and stick around to the end where I'll tell you how you can find out more about Hollywood Food Coalition and how you can help them make a difference, too. Well, welcome everyone to the first of two panels on today's Trek Talks, and we're focusing specifically on the creative voices that made Star Trek. My name is Allison Pitt. I'm the host of Daily Star Trek News, and I am joined today by some of the most influential people who have honed the style of Star Trek that you know and love. So let's go around and introduce them really quickly, and then we'll get into our discussion. So first up, Judy Brown. She's a script supervisor for DS9 and Enterprise, as well as the TNG era films. We've got Eric Stilwell. He's a writer and producer whose involvement with Star Trek spans everything from on screen to Trek cruises to Starfleet International. We've got Denise and Mike Okuda, who you will probably have seen on other panels before. They're award-winning graphic designers whose work on Star Trek is instantly recognizable. And of course, last, but very much not least, Dan Curry. He's a multiple Emmy award-winning VFX supervisor for Trek, as well as the creator of the Batleth. Very cool. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, I hope everyone is, is all ready and um, looking forward to chatting with you all. So uh, to get us started, uh, I just want to talk quickly. Um, it, all of you in your way have had, uh, you've touched something about Star Trek that's like, that at some point has become iconic, right? Um, as a creative person, do you know when you're working on it that that's going to be the thing that catches people? Um, uh, let's let's kick it off with uh, the Akutas, you guys. Um, when you're working on something, do you know that that's going to be the thing? Or is it, you know, you're just trying to fulfill the requirements of the job and then afterwards you find out? It, it depends. Uh, we have a little bit of an advantage because we started out as Star Trek fans. So we loved it going in and we understood that, oh, this, the symbol for the Federation is something that's going to become important. And so you had a sense there. But a lot of times, no, you, you, uh, you, you really don't. Uh, uh, I, I remember very much working on Eric's episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, which I honestly didn't think very much of at the time. And then when I saw the first cut of it, I went, oh my God, this is great. One of my favorite episodes too, Eric. Oh, thank you. I guess, I Eric, mean, that's a question for you then. Did you know at the time? Well, not really, except I was also a huge Star Trek fan growing up. And so I felt like I was inspired by the best of the original star treks and so i always held out hope that it would turn out okay but even the writers who wrote the teleplay um thought because of the time scheduling and the short period of pulling it all together that it probably wasn't going to work out very well so everybody was surprised <laughs> i know That's when we were filming landed. when we were filming the episode um about the tribbles and we went back and we were incorporating the Deep Space Nine cast into 
existing footage with um, Captain Kirk and, and Nimoy and all of that, we knew that that was something very special. And we all took such great pains and, and great pride in doing that. But a lot of times, no, you don't know. You're just under so much pressure to get it done in a certain time period and to meet the requirements of the moment. And what does it feel like when when you when you really feel like you're doing something special and then what you have to wait and then finally when you get to see fans reactions how does that feel to you oh it's, it's great i imagine so um dan the same question for you actually because um you are known as the person who came up with the batleth and the and the mechleth as well right did you, did you did you kind of know that that was going to be or did you were you like well we need a sword thing well i've been uh, imagining uh, what became the batleth for a long time but had no reason to create one um i lived in asia for a long time and studied martial arts um and uh i when that episode came along i decided to suggest it to the producers because uh, the Klingon should have an ergonomically sound weapon, and uh, and uh, and uh, something that was fluid and had all sorts of potential uh, possibilities. When I I just happen to have uh, Batleth number one right here. Wow! <laughs> awesome. And uh, and uh, the first time Dennis Madelone saw it, he he said, "I can't possibly work with that." And uh, and he uh, so then I showed him some of the tricks and uh, he came to appreciate the decapitation flanges and how it worked as uh, various stages of levers for ripping up through the thoracic cavity, which is how Worf ultimately kills Gowron, by the way. And uh, spoilers. <laughs> and. Uh, so that, that's how, and, and Dennis and the stunt team became uh, evangelists for the Batleth. And uh, one note, it was the first dual-bladed weapon approved by the Korean Martial, Martial Arts Association. Uh, wow. And the, the Navy Department of Research sent somebody to visit me and discuss uh, bladed weapon ergonomics. <laughs> nice. Wow. Wow. Nice. <laughs> So that actually um, brings up an interesting question for me, for and and this is for all of you really. Um, how how much of what you do is originates on the page, where you know, in actually in the script, or um, how and how much of it is um, your conceptualizing of what things should look like and filling in the blanks of what that style is. I think it always starts on the page, and it always starts with story. Um, and then it goes through the different levels. I mean, we who worked in the art department, our production designer on Deep Space Nine was um, Herman Zimmerman. And, um, you know, it would all flow through him. Um, so that pretty much was the order in which it, it went. I mean, you can have ideas and so forth, but it's, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, story so, is what did, I'm sorry, what did you say? Story is king. Everything that we do uh, must serve the story or we have not done our jobs well. But the, the other thing in television is there's never enough time and there's never enough. Uh, uh, there's never enough time, period. And uh, there really isn't time to plan everything out. So you have to trust your people. You have you have to trust the production designer. You have to trust visual effects. You have to 
you have to trust uh, costume designer. Each department, you have to uh, you uh, the producers give give the uh, give them guidance. These you certainly take a lot of cues from the script, but each you uh, you have to trust each person to do his or her job well. And and when we do, then then it uh, it shows in the final product. Well, the Star really Trek shows the Star Trek shows had such good departments. Um, you could trust that the uh, costume department was going to come up with the right stuff, and the and the art department, and the hair, and the makeup, and the set designs, and the uh, all all of the different departments were so good that it really helped. Every everybody helped every. I mean, it was just a pleasure to work with all the different departments. Well, one of the things about Star Trek that for me made it unique and why I stayed with the show for so long is the interrelationship between the departments. On, on many series, um, each department is like a medieval fiefdom and you can't cross onto their turf. Uh, whereas in on Star Trek, uh, as Mike brought up earlier, trust. Um, uh, all the departments trusted each other. So even though I worked in visual effects, I felt I was an honorary member of the art department. And if I wanted to design something myself, they would say, okay. Um, we would and, love it when you design stuff. <laughs> and so I, I think it, it's that degree of, of trust and respect that we had for each other that made it family. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I've worked on a number of different productions, but none had quite that intensity of be feeling like family as, as the Star Trek shows. Do you have a favorite story of that, of that time where you can remember thinking, I'm really not sure about this, but you have to hand it off to somebody anyway. And then the, then the final product comes out amazing. Well, sometimes despair is the mother of creation. Uh, <laughs> we've got a, a short time and uh, no money. And we had to figure out how to make some new phenomenon. Now, actually, Dan, you're known for kind of throwing those things together, aren't you? Um, uh, figuring out things to put together to create new props and um, effects. Do you have a favorite one of those where you were like, we just need to figure something out. Let's do it. Uh, that's pretty much uh, uh, like the early uh, biplane pilots, seat of the pants. Just uh, make it up as you go along and hope you were right. I have an example Eric, from when we were doing yesterday's enterprise, even though it might start on the page, the creative teams who, who work on the sets and, and do the lighting and all the creative elements on the stage really went above and beyond what we even envisioned in the process of doing yesterday's enterprise. So when the bridge like converted into this alternate universe with all this really cool lighting and the new um, set design on the bridge. Those were things that we didn't even visualize doing because we didn't think you could afford it. And liquid nitrogen was uh, our savior on yesterday's enterprise to create that, <laughs> that vortex. Wow. So for all of you, I know Eric and um, Mike and Denise, you guys talked about um, having been fans of the show um, before and uh, Judy and Dan, I can't remember if you guys were, have also talked about that before. Um, you guys are really all part of the fabric of Star Trek. Um, 
looking back on your careers and that piece of it, what does that mean to you to have been instrumental in, in creating what Star Trek is now? Making television and any filmmaking is it's always stressful. There's, all, there's never enough time, all, um, never enough money. You're always under a lot of pressure. And a lot of times there was arbitrary decisions that you may not necessarily agree with and you're and you're and you get frustrated, but you do the best you can. And Denise and I always tried very hard to remember it's a privilege to be here. Uh, try to look around and, and enjoy where you are. And also remember that uh, as important as Star Trek was to us when we were uh, 10 or 12 years old, even if what we're doing is less than perfect, you hope that it might be as important to some 10 or 12 year old out, out there watching uh, what you're doing. And also we were uh, creating Gene Roddenberry's universe, which is an optimistic and um, something to strive for. And so that was very important. And I think that uh, it's needed now more than ever. Um, and we are very proud to all of us are, I'm sure, very proud to have worked on something that was so positive. Agreed. I'm, I'm super, as a fan, I'm super proud of even that. It was a great honor just to have the opportunity to work on this show and in retrospect, as the years have gone by, I'm still uh, very proud of it. It's probably the most uh, fulfilling thing I've done in my entire career. It is, you feel like you're, you're part of something much bigger than uh, a momentary hour's entertainment for someone. Um, and one of the things that I loved is the fabric of, of Star Trek. I would read the first draft of the script and something that was a minor character in the later scripts, they pulled a character from uh, from an earlier episode or, or from an earlier series and brought that character back. And so that it made a much richer tapestry that uh, it, it just carried forward. And the writers respected the actors, the actors respected the writers and the writing. And um, like you said, every department was trusted and, and appreciate, you know, was working to fulfill that vision. That's wonderful. Okay, I want to switch gears really quickly. And I want to talk about swag, <laughs> because each of you <laughs> to, ha, got to touch actual cool things. And uh, on my show, one of the one of my favorite things that I like to do every week is uh, a Star Trek show and tell. Obviously, I'm surrounded by Star Trek stuff. So a little bit of gossip, you guys must have taken stuff back from set either. Well, Dan, we've seen your battle, um, but there must have been other things that you either snuck away or that you had, you were like, I've made this and I need to keep it. Uh, and you've still got it in your house. Can you tell me about something that you're, that you love that you've kept from the set from those years? You or know, are you allowed to say? You know, it's very interesting. No, really, seriously, it's very interesting because people kind of ask us that all the time. Hmm. And we were so busy that it, it really didn't. Well, I mean, we've got, I don't know, uh, a doorbell. We have a doorbell. <laughs> um, but we well, really don't. I mean, we just didn't. We were working. 
during the when we were working at Paramount, uh, being a fan of the original series, I really wanted an original series phaser, and <laughs> there and those are very costly on the uh, on the collector's market. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they they're, they're abs absurdly expensive. Fast forward to two thousand six, we're working on the remastered version of the original Star Trek, and uh, a whole bunch of us put on uniforms and we, we walked we walked around in front of a blue screen a green screen. Uh, uh, for for new visual effect shots, and I wore this toy on my belt. <laughs> so this phaser, <laughs> it's all like that. This phaser ended up in episodes of the original Star Trek. So I now have an original screen used phaser. I'm very proud of it. That's kind of like the, the backdoor way to get yourself a screen used prop. Yeah. I, as some people would argue that that's actually the better way to do it. So excellent well done so denise is there anything that you wished like in retrospect that you'd pocketed away then i'm that one of the most wonder judy mentioned it early was trials and tribulations for from uh, deep space nine everybody gave 200 percent and um i would have liked to have taken a triple home from that episode but again it didn't just didn't occur to me i knew i do know that john dwyer who was the um uh set decorator on the original series was set decorator for uh first season tng and he brought in um one day from just brought it in for mike um in a shoebox uh, those data chips in that they used in the original series those blocks of wood mm -hmm. painted blocks of wood and he basically said, hey, Mike, I, I found these. Would you be interested in having them? And of course, that's. So we we have a couple of we those. We have a couple of those. Although over the years, we gave most we of gave, those. We, yeah, there, some of them are in our safe deposit box. But um, that was cool because that was from the original series. Yeah. And so absolutely, you know, that that was wonderful. Actually, Denise and Michael gave me as a present on the very first season of uh of deep space nine a english to cling on and cling on to english dictionary <laughs> and, <laughs> and denise you said to me you're one of the few people on the planet that actually has a use for this <laughs> that's wonderful and now you can learn it on duolingo <laughs> Oh my god. You know, it's amazing. They've actually I this sorry, slight tangent. Just this week they've announced that they're actually adding Klingon as an official language to LibreOffice, which is an open source <laughs> like like office programs, you know, like um uh, uh word processor and all that. It's it's official now. So You can wow. also you can also learn Klingon on Duolingo. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, hey, I, John. We, we we seem to have a uh, an invader. Uh, the Denobulans are like this. We just pop in, oh. unannounced, oh, unexpected, uninvited. Welcome. We expect to be served a hot meal and to be given all the pleasures of the house. Okay. <laughs> this okay. is why we're the least popular species in Star Trek. With a big smile. The big smile. Yes. Yeah, the big $10, smile. Yes. Ten thousand dollar smile. That did you build that smile for me, Larry? Is that do I have you to thank for that? No, Dan, Larry, Dan, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, we did a little uh, digital stretch on your uh, on your physiognomy. <laughs> I wish I, I thought I, that I was all that, natural. Yeah, yeah, the puffer fish, that was all natural. 
but yeah <laughs> yeah now we won't we won't talk about some of the other things that the artificial enhancements that were rejected by the uh, by the powers that be well, thank you for joining us. We were just discussing uh, swag that uh, that all of these fine folks took home from the set or wished they had, except for, <laughs> except for Eric. One time, one, one time the prop master gave me a stack of Dixon Hill business cards, but that's about it. Oh, that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, they gave uh, them to me. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Dan, besides your Batleth, have you got one that, um, you know, that maybe you treasure? Well, I, yeah, I just grabbed uh, or asked permission to uh, have uh, uh, copies of, of uh, things I, I designed. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, the Mechleth, when Michael Dorn signed on to uh, Deep Space Nine, I got a funny phone call. Daniel, I need a new weapon. And uh, Michael wanted something that he could hide behind his back. So he came over to my house and looked at my collection of weapons I brought back from Asia. And I showed him a Nepalese Kora sword. And so this is the very first Mechleth. This is the tip of a Nepalese Kora sword. And then Michael and I worked out these things. He wanted something he could do his backhand that if you blocked a weapon, it would guide the opponent's weapon away. You could uh, use it for close quarters cutting with all parts of the weapon. It could grapple an opponent's weapon and uh, uh, underhand used to uh, dispel any hope your opponent might have for future progeny. Um, so <laughs> this is the uh, the original. It's the original. Made of uh, cardboard. Thank God, I was a Denobulan. Uh, <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. So cool. I was I was dropped Sorry, in because I think yeah. you were coming to the end of your panel. So I don't know. If yeah, we were. we were. We were. We were just about to say goodbye to everyone and say thank you for joining us and supporting what a great cause. Um, yes. Thank you thank for you. having us. Star Trek says Star Trek does not promise that tomorrow will be a better place. Star Trek says tomorrow can be a better place if we work hard, if we're compassionate. If we take care, if we take, if we're, if we're tolerant, if we take, take care of each other. And John through the Hollywood Food Coalition is, uh, is, is, is making an important effort in that, in that area. Please support them. Thank you again to all the panelists and of course the Trek Geeks Podcast Network and Roddenberry Podcasts for inviting me to be a part of this momentous event. To watch the entire event back and to find out how you can contribute to the Hollywood Food Coalition, just head to Trek Talks. Net. That's trektalks.net. Next up in the feed, look out for the second of the two panels from the day where I'm talking to producer Ronald B. Moore, stunt coordinator Dennis Danger Madalone, production designer Rick Sternbach, and Emmy-winning composer Dennis McCarthy. I'm Allison Pitt. Live long and prosper. This is a Roddenberry Podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.